Hello and welcome to the Viva Bastardo show, part of the Haggerty Podcast Network. Today, I am delighted to say we have Silas Walton, the mastermind behind A Collected Man, the website that sells extraordinary uh, independent watch brands. Um, he has some amazing insights about independent watch brands, um, about my own ignorance about independent watch brands and watches at large. Uh, it's a really, really fascinating conversation. So check it out. the new vernacular is it silas walton i feel like your name um you should be like a dickensian villain who owns an orphanage i feel like you've told me this before i've never said this before you did i've never I, said I that before how dare I, I you i have a feeling you sent me a message once where you basically insulted me <laughs> in the most kind of like verbose and but did i say the dickensian possible. orphanage I, owner I think you did I'm, well you definitely referenced being dickensian in some form of fashion. yeah but now the now the orphanage thing has come to mind i was thinking about it as i was sitting here yeah I mean, I appreciate the extra. And I, you have a whole, layer food, you have a, you have a, you have an armada of little urchins. Yeah. Well, I mean, how else do you make the, the watches and the straps? <laughs> That's right. I mean, you got otherwise, it's the not pilfer profitable. watches from. Uh, what would be a Dickensian name for uh, old for rich people? Word. <sighs> Toffs. Uh, no, it's not so no. interesting, is it? I feel like it's there'd be an amazing Victorian word for it. Yeah. Like you know, bubble. Jobs? Oh, no, <laughs> no, wait, that that, no, that doesn't no, sound right. No, hang on. Okay, I'm sure. I'm sure there's like an. Uh, I'm sure after this we can find like a well, whole we, list we can of Google. words. All right. It was like blatantly obvious, but we couldn't think of any of them. Well, I've got an excuse. What? I'm in my dotage. I'm like the Dowager Countess. <laughs> yeah, but you've got a few years on me, so you've got a lot wisdom. more life experience. Yeah, <laughs> of being a Dickensian urchin. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Silas, thank you so much for coming to the Viva Bastardo show. My pleasure. Um, you could have said that with a bit more gusto, man. My pleasure. I'm, See, that I'm, was so much. That I'm, was... <laughs> I'm overwhelmed with joy to be Overwhelmed. Here. It's been it's bucket list level. This. Oh, is. of course it is. I mean, like... this is the only reason. You, so you I'm are struggling to contain my enthusiasm at this point. Just but... for um, our American friends, this is an, Amer an English person, massively enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I need is a, a nice warm cup of tea. But and then that'd be it. And then with sauces. Yeah. All, all the cliches. Some chocolate diegies. Yeah. So just to explain to everyone, yeah. you are the mastermind behind. A collected man, the evil mastermind. The evil mastermind, and I have to say, man, it's very annoying. Actually, it's all very annoying. I'm just generally annoyed by everyone's success in the in the in the, in, the, in the English tradition of being annoyed by other people's success. But mo you, let's just let. Do you want to do you want to explain what a collected man is for for the for the barbarians who are unaware? I feel like I was about to enjoy like a little torrent torrent of compliments, and it, and it now, will be a compliment. To, it will be no, a compliment tsunami. No, it's fine. And then I would have just been awkward because I'm British. I would oh, okay, hang on. Oh, I'm happy to induce awkwardness. Yeah. So fine. Fine. Um, Go on. What give do me we the, do? Give uh, me the the business. The <laughs> top line. Top top line. <laughs> it for we're, me. We're. Um, do I look at you? Do I look at the camera? You can look at me, or you can look at camera. Uh, you can address the people who look at me. Fine. So we are um, a. <laughs> we're like well, a, you've we're, really we're, sold me. Yeah, then. I mean, I'm, I'm, that's the elevator pitch done in, in ten <laughs> seconds. So we're a specialist platform. We deal in rare watches. Um, we have been going for eight years, and and you started this yourself. I started this, yeah. But hang on, let's ago. just. I mean, <laughs> we're a specialist platform. Yeah, I mean, that could be OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's not an OnlyFans for watch collectors. Right. No, but you, but your what? I I mean, I I've been sort of stalking for a few years now i love you silas <laughs> uh, 
But you, what you've done that, that's unusual is that you, it seems to me that you seem to be ahead of everyone else in terms of the whole independent watch frenzy. Is that fair to say-ish? I think, I think today um, lots of people are like interested in independent watchmaking. Right. I think lots of people are, have gone into it in the last couple of years. Um, and I think it was fair enough that for a long time it wasn't something that was particularly well known because... But, but that was your focus in it was that your focus right from the start no so it became our focus within about six months so okay, well, it was the I mean, kind of like it was like the classic pivot we came in we had ideas it was going to be something what was it going to be so Hublot. uh it was going to be Hublot <laughs> Hublot. And, Mikey Pod oh. and like uh, <laughs> oh wait all the stuff all i love Patek from the 70s then you realized there was no interest I in was that basically beta 21s we just had beta 21s <laughs> lined up so it's going to be that's every right. beta anyone right. ever made that should have been the name no we were going to be um a mid-market sort of platform for pre-owned watches it was going to be more volume less kind of like I mean that's a real pivot then yeah but but it was kind of so what kind of things like sports steel sports Rolex kind well, so, of situation so, so, so the truth is I started this with with very with very very little funding it was uh, a little bit of kind of uh, what do they say friends fools and family right you know it was a little bit of seat capital but very very little um, and we were always like focused on unlike a sort of it was like reverse entrepreneurship. Instead of being focused on scale and like putting profit, you know, at the bottom of the pile, I was very much focused on the idea of like bootstrapping it as far as possible and trying to be a profitable from day one. Yeah. So that even if it meant we grew quite slowly, um, we would have a degree of independence and stability. And so initially the idea was, yeah, mid-market, volume, the kind of classics, the Rolex Submariners, that sort of stuff, vintage, vintage Longines. All the good stuff. Speed so how did that, so that's fascinating. What what precipitated a pivot? It was it was quite easy. It was two things simultaneously. It was one realizing that that was already a highly saturated market. <laughs> right. That was keen insight. Uh, you know, <laughs> very <laughs> keen. Such, such a shame. I had to start my business to realize that. <laughs> right. You would have thought the six months of market research and business plan like <laughs> development would have sorted that. No, but it was the margins were very tight, um, and so you had to do yeah you you had to do high volume, but we didn't actually have the capacity to do high volume at that stage. And um, we happened to get a number of like really interesting independent watches come through right at the beginning on consignment, um, essentially through one of the investors who was was a big collector. It was, it was just okay. like a very happy coincidence, uh, sort of. And that person was very passionate about independent watchmaking. And so I had this weird um, privileged insight into this thing when, you know, virtually no one was interested in independent watchmaking. You know, it was literally a you handful of you, people man. would have dinners like every month, like maybe 12 people, 10 people would have dinners and like they would be most of the independent watch collectors right. in London. And right. for a long time that was the case because basically you would go through absolutely everything else before you got to independent watchmaking. You would go through Rolex, Nanga, Patek, Vacheron, AP. You see, it's you interesting because it. my, collecting, my collecting arc uh, which is not very long, <laughs> has been that rather than because when I saw independent watch stuff, I just thought I will buy these watches and I will never be able to sell them again. I'll lose all the money I put into them. Yeah, uh, and and I know that you're not supposed to buy things. I, I, we, this is a bit. This is this this conversation is a bit of a cheat because we've already met a couple of days ago. So. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I felt I, I think I said this to you. I felt like when you buy watches or cars or that kind of stuff, I sort of. I buy the things I love, but then you want to buy the things you love, but with an eye to maybe not losing your shirt later on down the road. Yeah. And when I looked at independent watch stuff, I just didn't see a way of 
of um, losing my not losing my shirt. Yes. And I was so wrong. I could. I mean, so I went. I went just into weird wormholes of particular big brands, like the page twenty one and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I was, and I was completely wrong. So you only you only wrong insofar as in the last twenty four months, there were you know there's a reasonable probability now that if you buy an example of independent watchmaking subject to market conditions being like favorable, right. that you would make That was money. excellent. You, thank you. I, I subject see, to market. Some what, conditions may apply. Yeah. Nausea. Side effects may not, include nausea, not, not, diarrhea. Not, not qualified to give professional financial advice <laughs> in any right. circumstances. Not an so, investment professional. But, okay, so, so you saw, but this is genius, man, because I'm really interested in, I, I'm fascinated by people when seeing like you, you, okay, so this investor had these watches, and then you looked at them, and then and said what to yourself? You said, "Ah, oh, this is a possible market." So because they, you were saying there were twelve people meeting a month, so yeah. that was the market. Yes. Yeah, so, so what's interesting is, um, by virtue of having to sell these watches for this particular like gentleman, right. um, I found myself going down like a rabbit hole into the into the very niche space of like people who sell things on forums between each other. Um, and I'd never really been on a forum before at that point. Like forums were- Well, not for were watches. Just, well, not for watches, but, <laughs> but, but you know, more niche pursuits. Right. But, but no, I'd, I'd, I'd never really been on a forum before. I didn't realize that this is how things worked. Uh, went down that rabbit hole and realized that it was, it was like super closed because unless you're a member of the forum, unless you like tracked the threads, unless right. you were like, you know, um, writing in English and so English was like a you know your first language or a language you were very like comfortable writing in there was basically no chance that you were going to know that this stuff was available and so there was almost like a self um what's the word it was almost like a self-containment like they, they'd siloed themselves almost deliberately to, to control and keep this market between themselves but in, why? in a good way well because I mean so so basically there were three genera there are three generations of independent watch collectors in my opinion there are those who kind of like when it really started about 20 years ago, there were the people at the very beginning who kind of, they'd been for everything else and they wanted to patronize a sort of a watchmaker, an artist, and they would commission something and they would be perfectly comfortable losing their money. They, they assumed that they would lose their money. It was, right. they had enough liquidity, they had enough disposable income, they'd been around the block enough times to not think of it as a speculative investment. Sure. So, so they really like went in in the first generation and like they lost their shirt you know, more or less, if they didn't like stick to it for the next 20 years. Right. Then you had the next generation that came in about 10 years ago. And these guys were kind of like, let's call them the forum generation. And they recognized, they were passionate, they were enthusiastic, they absolutely loved the stuff in the same way that the previous generation did. But they realized there was a good opportunity to buy the stuff at minus 50%, minus 60%, minus 40%. The less developed the market, the more niche the independent, the better the chance that you were able okay, to get so a just, massive discount. Just out of interest, Let's just take F.P. Jean or because yeah. or, or, that's one of the few or or Smith, Roger yeah. Smith, Smith, Roger Smith. Um, the great. What Roger were those Smith. things going for? So, so let's start with Smith because it's a bit easier because it's Nisha. So the first time we sold a Roger Smith um, with Roger's blessing, the does it require his blessing uh, or does it? It, it help? was something that I sought out like very early on. That okay, was, that was one of the few things that made. So a what does difference. his blessing bring so, you? F so so I. Flew out, went to see Roger. Where does he live? I on the Alleman. I see. Oh, um, okay. And I went to see Philippe Dufour in um, uh, Switzerland, Dufour. and I went to see Carrie as well, okay. Eric Leinen. And basically, I convinced all three of them that 
because the market was so undeveloped, so underdeveloped and so illiquid, if they were to recommend a platform uh, as this, you would like it to be yours. Pre-owned partner, I would like it to be us. But no, essentially, I was like, look, this happens in other industries. There are pre-owned partnerships between brands and secondary market platforms, and it's way like it's way too much to try and expect you know one of the big watch brands to be interested in this, especially eight years ago. Of you course. know, the, the the secondary market was you know anathema to them. It was yeah. it was absolutely something that they didn't well, want to go near. Well, this is fascinating, man. So, what did you say to convince? Because presumably, uh, well, I'm going to make a, a I'm going to make a wild generalization. These are older, elderly gentlemen ish. No, so Roger's um, Roger was, I guess, when we met, probably maybe late forties, early fifties. Okay. Um, so ancient, and so ancient, very old, ancient, very old. Okay, well, so but what what would you say is that you're a young chap showing up and saying, hey, uh, we'd like to be your sort of preferred secondary market partner. Um, what what would be it, you you must be very convincing. <laughs> you know so, I mean? <laughs> so, so I, I think I think a couple of things. The first is there was basically no market before, right? So the barriers to entry were very low. So I right. didn't have to I didn't have to be dramatically impressive in order to right. convince them that that I had this idea that like maybe was of value to them. Right. Uh, but I did go to a lot of trouble. I flew out to see them in person to, right, to which lunch. Was something. Spent a day with them. You know, no one was interested. And what they hated as a generalization, as a sweeping generalization, is these watches would go to auction and they would just be tossed in amongst a whole range of other watches and the auction house would go to absolutely no trouble whatsoever it didn't matter which ah, so they weren't rep- they didn't feel like they were terrible. represented so publicly the watches profit. would sell for like a massive discount on the original retail right and so you know a series two by uh, uh, roger might sell you know at auction or on a forum for like something like 70,000 pounds. Okay. And I remember the first time I spoke to Roger about this this piece that we had that we we're going to be listing that he did a video for and he very kindly gave us all the background information on. He was like, "Oh, maybe like 80,000 pounds, try and sell it for 80, 85." Right. And I think And what was we, the retail of for that initially? Um, so I think the retail at the time was around around 100,000 pounds, okay. maybe 110, something around that ballpark. Okay. Basically, we just immediately went in and listed it at 120,000. And so it was like 40 grand more than Roger thought, 50 grand more than one would typically sell. And it sold, you know, almost immediately. Right. Then the next one, six months later, was 140 grand. Then it was 170 grand. And so this you're was creating way, the market. And, and this, yeah, and this was this was the same with, with Philippe Dufour. With Philippe Dufour, who's like an, an old man in the mountains, right. like considered the kind of like the modern father of independent watchmaking and a, in a sort of Swiss independent watchmaking. Yeah. You know, he... We sold, the, the, there's this watch called the Simplicity, which is a time-only watch. And he made 200 plus of them and they would sell on forums. And incredibly, other other more expensive watches that he made in smaller number had appeared at markets, but this watch had never appeared at auction before. And it had only been sold on forums. And so we were the first to ever publicly sell one of his watches, you know, as in online and openly. Right. And I remember telling a couple of people before we collected the watch from... Um, someone in London, that it was going to be, I think, 120 grand, and they, they, they one or two of them said, "You're, you're crazy. No way. In a month of Sundays, you know, I'm not. I'm, I'm interested in the watch, but that's a ridiculous price point. You know, come and, come and see me when, when you're kind of like grounded. <laughs> you know, previously right. they'd sold for 85, 90, and like, who are you to sell this for 120? Interesting. I literally remember, I went in a taxi, saw the client, picked up the watch. And within 15 minutes, 
I, I arrived at another client's home in London that I wanted to show the watch to. And within half an hour, the watch was sold for 120,000 pounds. And I had a, a DM on my phone. From, that must be deeply satisfying. Oh, desperately <laughs> satisfying. I had a DM on my phone that I responded to in the taxi saying politely, you know, saying, oh, well, I understand. And, you know, maybe we can. He was like, oh, I'm, I'm not in London anyway for a week. The chap who thought it was too expensive. So he right. said, you know, come and come and see me a week later. And I just remember reading that, acknowledging it, being worried that maybe he was right and I was wrong. Right. And then, you know, an Setting hour later, half an hour later. Saying, right. look, you know, I'm really sorry, but it's gone. Um, and, and with, you know, complete credit to the person, they came back with like a really nice response that was like, well, congratulations, I was wrong, you were right. Right. Um, and I then it's never carried had, on. I would never have had that kind of... I know, I know. You I would have, have been venal. You would have... You would enraged. Have spat lemon yeah, juice in my heart. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but no, so it was... And then that kind of just repeated itself with, with other independents. I remember a couple of years ago, I was, uh, I was in Miami. Um, I met a friend of mine and... He was interested in buying one of my pre-Daytonas, you know, didn't happen. But he was like, oh, meet me at the uh, F. Pigeon store. Um, <laughs> I went in, I was poking around. I was like, well, this is kind of weird. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's, there's specific ones that I kind of, there's ones that I sort of, you know what's interesting about F. Pigeon is I can see why people like it, but yeah. I can't like it. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. I don't know why that is. Yeah. And I keep, and because it, it, I feel like it does all the things that I should you like it to do. Like, lack, it's the, you lack taste, Phil. You have underdeveloped taste. I think we've gotten to, the, you've gotten to the heart of it. Yeah. I think that I you finally, finally someone said it to me, Silas. <laughs> Don't <laughs> oh, no. well, you're rubbish. No, but look, I, I think, I, I but I can see it. why though. I like, it, it. The, the ones that I don't know, what, what chronometre à résonance or whatever it's called. Yeah. Or, oh, I, I don't even know that. Whatever I'm, it's called, chronometre à résonance. Is that what it's called? Perfect pronunciation. Is that what it's called? Of course, it's called. Oh shit! Okay, no, no, I wasn't sure. You talked about it with Mark on his podcast. You think? But I didn't know the full name. He talked about it because he's got that crazy. He does. Yeah, the like the one of four whatever and, yeah. but the other thing um like I, I can you know i can see because i like i have a real soft spot for either like super busy things or kind of really very clean things and he does super busy yeah but in the, and he and what i like about his stuff and i find is lacking in so many independent watchmakers is is and this is my pet peeve well, there's several. There's, well, actually, say, you know what? There's, where is this on the list of pet peeves? You, know you, you must have a long as a, list. As a, it, there's a, yeah. there's, it, well, actually, you know Judging what? Judging my Instagram exchanges, you have a long list of pet peeves. <laughs> okay, one of them is, one of the top ones is typography. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, fine. And he yeah. does beautiful typography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so, I don't know who's just doing, just, I don't know, who, is he designed, if he has a typographer or, but it's really beautifully done. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and, and that's unusual. I yeah. find that often, People seem to pay attention to the, you know, they want to make some interesting movement or complication, yeah. and then, but then the typography is utter shit. But you know where that comes from. It's, it's, you know, for within, him or generally in general, no. like you know, with independent watchmaking, you're talking about at its at its at its smallest and let's say for the sake of argument, purest, you know, form. It's a really small artisanal craft, and historically. It was one watchmaker right. with maybe one or two assistants right. making a handful of watches in their workshop a year. Sure. You know, George Daniels was pretty much working on his own. George Daniels is, you might say, the father of independent watchmaking overall, probably one of the, the if not the greatest, probably the greatest independent watchmaker, watchmaker of the last 200 years. Okay. Um, you know, until Roger Smith joined him as an apprentice, right. and man, he was just doing it all himself by, by hand. And what's, so they're not paying attention to well, typography. Well, no, it's not, or, they're not paying not attention. That? It's just how rare is it for somebody to be multi-talented and multifaceted, sure. such that they are mechanically brilliant, 
really talented as a watchmaker and able to imagine construction of movements and and convert and transfer what they have in their head into something physically through the medium of their hands yep. and through their genius. How often are they equally good businessmen and more importantly, as your question, you know, alludes to, aesthetically? No, you're, you know, you're right, to, like, man. I mean, look, well. I, I can. It's I mean, rare. I, I totally, you know. In your place. In my, sit down, Tom. <laughs> sit down. <laughs> but it's, 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 no, I totally, I totally agree, true. man. And on the on the most miserable of you know examples, my Viva Bastardo thing. I'm a rubbish businessman, but I'm good oh. at ideas, you know. But I but I understand typography, all the rest of it. But I'm yeah. terrible. But it's interesting. It is interesting because, um, you you look at a dial, and typography is such a big part of that dial. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. But. It's a blind spot for a lot of independent watchmakers. Yeah, and and you know, and the bloody alligator strap. That's and my alli- that's so, my massive so. that's my massive pet peeve. So we, we we don't do alligator straps. <laughs> it's never been my thing. Uh, I know so. it's not. It's but it's it's but it's interesting to me that people spend so much time and effort making this movement and this dial and this whole yeah. thing and and this new and then new complication whatever. It's, and then and it's sort of like putting a Picasso in a frame you get down the, uh, down the high street. Yeah, yeah. But that's exactly the analogy that I use all the time is with independent watchmakers. I say, like, what is the point? What is the point of like making something absolutely fantastic if then, you know, the frame is such that, that nobody enjoys looking at it? Right. Because people are put off and distracted. Yeah, but I don't so, think people, I, th- I actually think people aren't put off and distracted. I think that for the most part, I think people don't even notice it because it's such a reflexive <laughs> habit. If we're talking about just the, the, the alligator, st- that puffy oh, strap. Oh, sorry. So it's that's such an, it, it's such such an, it's such a like every brand. It's like black shoes. Yeah, it's exactly. Just like a pair of black, like black no one, But then when yeah. you put them on a good strap, yeah. then suddenly you go, oh my god, it makes yeah. this thing sing. Totally. So so you're you're right. A good strap changes a, uh, changes the watch, changes the vibe, changes everything. Um, but and and typography is a big part of design. But like the bigger point is, I think that like you know a lot of independent watchmakers, for them the design, for example, of the dial is an afterthought. And they That's and so they don't want to think about it and and so so what's the thrust the, the well, movement you, the movement is like you know their right. their kind of core and what's really interesting is that you know historically there wasn't enough money in this space four five six years ago outside of the genres and you know in parenthesis it's worth noting I I think that F P Jean is literally a genius I I I think he is a genius for for lots of reasons I think he's a mad genius. Well, I think he's kind of like a mad. Are there professor. any sensible geniuses? Well, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm sure there are. He's but, a lovely but, chap. He's also a genius. Yeah, yeah, no, but he's he's like he, he's he's definitely like a mad professor type because right. he is he is singular. He, he has very strong opinions on everything. He's very direct. There's he doesn't. I don't think he minces words at all. If he I've likes heard. you, he likes you. He's, <laughs> he's you know he, he gets straight to the point. Um, but he has excellent taste right. by and large. I think it's fair to say he has excellent taste, not just for a watchmaker, but in, in general. And he's he's like he's very successfully built something over 20 plus years, 30 plus years that has really like consistently built on what he did before. And it has a clear kind of DNA. And, you know, I don't like all the genres. That's very interesting. The way you, you talk know. about it is the way people talk about artists and art. Yeah. And their art careers. Yeah. Like people talk about a, a DNA and a consistency throughout yeah. an art career. Yeah. And and I think I think that the reality is independent watchmaking is the closest thing you'll get to art in watchmaking. Well, funnily enough, I mean I feel like in some ways it's it's become in in particularly recently, but it's become what patronage of the arts was in say the sixteenth or seventeenth century or the eighteenth century where you were yeah. where 
arist- rich people, people with money, aristocrats, all with taste. Found that right word. Yeah, rich people are terrible. Yeah, 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 but but they were they would they would they would they would be patrons of the arts. They would yeah. support artists. Yeah, and and I guess that that's the next. That's what's that's what this is. Yeah, I I think so. I think it's um, <clears throat> and I, and I think that you know. It, it's, yeah, there's a romanticism to it. If there I is. There is a there, romanticism. There's a, because you, there's a, there's a. It's actually interesting if you think about. It, there's a, there's a desire. There's always been a desire for proximity to genius. To mm. be, and so when you, if you are not an artist yourself, then the next best thing is to support someone whose art you admire, because then you have this proximity yeah. to talent, to genius, yeah. and, and and you can and and you you're close to it in a way that's, yeah. I mean. I'm just thinking about cars. When I used to collect Group B cars, I collected them because there was a proximity to the romance of Group B racing, and that was yeah. as close as I was going to get to being in that space. Yeah, and they, and I love that romance. I, I I get it, and I think that that's I think that's really um, like an accurate reflection of of how lots of people feel as collectors. I think. Um, you know, I think it's interesting today because where historically independent watchmaking basically had no money. There was no money in independent watchmaking. They were right. always running out of cash. Now it's a wash, they didn't presumably. Have, well, they didn't have great businesses. They, you know, they didn't run their business particularly well, but those that did survived and prospered. And now, obviously, things are very, very, like, positive for independent watchmaking in general. I think probably the opposite, like, the opposite risk exists or the opposite challenge where there's too much quick money. Um, and perhaps those that haven't been doing it that long, I think, have to, you know, be a little bit cautious that they don't just assume that things will carry on forever without like ebbs right. and flows and, and ups and downs. And I think um, I'm taking it, this all in because you know I'm making a watch. Well, I, I I'm know, absorbing I all this well, information. I mean, look, listen, Toledano. <laughs> now look I, here. I think I think I think. I think you Wait a minute! I feel like now you're the headmaster and I've been called in. <laughs> well, in like in a former school, so <laughs> I, I feel like it's appropriate. No, but like I think that's true. I think the irony is that we've gone. With, you know, I always talk about the swing of the pendulum. I think we've gone from one extreme towards something else, but I'm not worried because it's normal and it's natural. Like the market has blossomed and boomed in a short space of time. You know, you talked about Jean. You said you asked me how much something like that would trade for. You know, before the boom, let's say, sure. you know, you, you used to be able to buy FP Jones for minus 40% right. on, on the retail price, right. you know, and they were available on the gray market, which is not something people like to talk about, but they were available brand new being sold through the back door by retailers who essentially couldn't shift the inventory and therefore would rather sell them at a discount and make five or 10% or whatever. Right. And, and as far as the brand was concerned, they were sold, um, you know, and that's the truth of that's the kind of like slightly unpalatable underbelly uh, of, of the watch industry. There is, There was a huge amount of, of that sort of stuff going on. Independent watchmaking, perhaps less so because there were less watches in circulation, but Jean was a relatively big brand as an independent, so there were more watches in circulation. And then of course what happened is that that market, that whole market boomed, all of the pieces on the secondary market were just sucked up and all the prices dramatically escalated. And then people would not be able to buy them on the secondary market. And so they would rush to buy them at retail because suddenly they were cheaper at retail than they were on the secondary market. And then suddenly the brands would, like there wouldn't be a need for a gray market anymore, which we never participated in, but we observed all the time because we were constantly being offered watches. Suddenly the brands themselves would become a little bit holier than thou. And they would turn around and say, you know, what do you mean a discount? What do you mean you're asking? Where where before it was perfectly normal, I'm sure I've been told, you know, to get 10, 20% off at, at retail, even from the brand. When the market prospered, suddenly all of that shifted, and and all of a sudden people are filling out forms, yeah. applying yeah. to buy a watch. And, and now you can't, you know. And, and Jean is a 
fantastic brand that deserves all the success I actually, it's enjoying. I, about but it's three, a two-year waiting list or something well, like that. Well, three years ago, I was trying to buy an, uh, an Elegante, yeah. which I think is a terrible yeah. name. I know. Uh, plus, it's not an Elegante, it's yeah. Elegant. Uh, is it? Again. Elegant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've shamed yeah. myself It's not again. Spanish. I know, but everyone always says Elegante well, in the States. I don't know why. Maybe they're right, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> no, that's very, that's very humble of you. I uh, think we all know what's happening, Silas. I think we all know who's right. <laughs> And then, and then I started talking to some guy who works for Jean recently. I was talking, to, and he said, "Oh, you've got to fill out this form." I said, "Really?" Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and for what? I mean, really, like, what? You know, I can't. I'm certainly not. Uh, I can't. There's no reason they would sell one to me versus. I mean. Well, so so like, so demand exceeds supply, and people. You know, there are pl- plenty of people who want Jean, not just on the kind of like the old side, the collectible side, the pre-owned side but also on the modern side, the new collections. They're all selling through. They all deserve to sell through. The The brand has all the qualities that you would look for in a really strong, um, you know, independent watchmaking brand. They don't make that many watches a year relative to their size. Sure. They're led by, you know, an eponymous. The mad genius. Well, a mad genius, the eponymous kind of watchmaker. Um, the quality of the watchmaking is really extremely high on all levels. And so it's very deserved. Um, I just think that inevitably what happens is at a certain point when things really take off, the kind of herd almost takes over and the brand then struggles to control, particularly when it's an independent brand. Who's buying it? Who's buying it and what's going on? So, sure. so I, think, I think it's like a learning curve. And I think all that's happening is brands like F.B. Jean and others have experienced this sudden boom in interest. And they're now having to like figure out what that feels like and how to manage it after 10 years of trying to convince someone else to buy their watches right. and having to navigate a trickier right. market. Where so, were you when we were trying to sell our watches? Well, yeah. Sure. I mean, and, and I think that I think that's also noteworthy. I think independent watches, independent watchmakers, you know, when they do boom, I think a lot of them still realize that they owe something of a duty of kind of like appreciation to those collectors who were with them from the beginning for sure who who did take the risk and did yep. buy these pieces when no one else is interested and and i think you you can look at people like carrie and and carrie Vutlinen, you know and roger they're still very very loyal to the people who supported them in the beginning um even if economically well, even even if economically frankly it's not necessary because right. they could sell their watches 10 times over and i think that that's what's interesting as well and and i think that how how you manage that as a bigger brand is is tricky because you've got much bigger questions much bigger pressures much bigger problems and you want to sell things through but now you know Jean can't you know there isn't stock available to sell there's vastly more demand than supply so right. i'm amazed to, it's it's really extraordinary to me how I've been I've been collecting cars for a long time. Yeah. But in the what I'm 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 amazed at the speed at which the watch market uh changes directions. Like uh, uh, or at least maybe in terms of um things that become incredibly in vogue really quickly. Like beta like, 21s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for instance, all beta yeah, beta 21s, I 40s Rolex Chronographs, yeah, massively, Turners. yeah, very, very hot. Yeah. I mean, uh, the best. Unless I'm interested, in which case the market, <laughs> <laughs> it's a ghost town. ellipses. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's all the good no, stuff. No, but you know, like, for instance, uh, the green dials or uh, what other stuff? I feel like, I mean, I just feel like everyone just leaps on things. Uh, and, and it's such a, it's a I mean, I hate to use the phrase herd mentality because it's irritatingly boring, but it, it's amazing to me you how... You and your sheeple. <laughs> should we talk about the pandemic and how the <laughs> COVID-19 is a conspiracy? I mean, that. that I mean, it's hello. All Bill Gates. It's all Bill Gates. Yeah. Microchips. <laughs> I was talking to someone at FedEx a couple of months ago 
And I said, have you gotten the shot yet? She's like, oh, I don't want to get the shot. And I said, why not? And she said, oh, because of Bill Gates. I literally had the same conversation Did you? with a black cab driver about, that's uh, that's like a taxi, a London taxi, I should qualify, <laughs> yeah, yeah. about two years ago uh, during the pandemic. And I said, look, I'm really sorry, but I have to get out because like, this is just, I've never got out of a taxi before. I'm very respectful of people's views. Sure. But like, I just couldn't, I just couldn't. I said, look, I'm but really I, sorry, I'm going to. But, but did, I was so interested in her point of view. I said, so, okay, so what, uh, why do you think that Bill Gates is one second or third richest man in the world is going to be interested in you working at FedEx? And I don't mean that in you know an insulting way, but you know, yeah. why would he be interested? And and I said also, do you have a phone? Because if you're worried yeah. about tracking, I mean, that yeah, yeah. does. It, and it was just it was like oh, I don't know. It was, but it was it's it's really interesting mm. when you have that conversation mm. and mm. you hear something like that. It's just I'm fascinated with that. Yeah, yeah. It's um. By the way, I bought my first independent watch. Did brand, you brand watch thing? When? Yeah. When uh, ten minutes before we showed up, I don't believe you. No, uh, I bought it. I bought uh, Naoya Hida. Oh yes, very cool. Yeah, Mark's had an influence. Yeah, well, well, he I had. See. He had. He, well, because I get I, him on the show first, and he's already yeah. he's already pushed you some of his well, products. Well, look, man, I'm happy if you want to steer me towards. Uh, but we'll, but we'll have know, a conversation about you for after this. I'd be de- right. yeah. But you know what I like about um, you know what's really lovely about what what. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna now justify my own my own <laughs> little, little, I'm now little, gonna validate no, my fine. genius. Yeah, just doing is, a little advertorial. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is I see like there's a lot of people uh, who are making copies of old watches. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but what I find interesting about Hida is he's kind of synthesized and absorbed ideas of old watches. So it's sort of the echo of a memory of an idea of an old watch, but not a copy of an Very old watch. Very romantic. I like it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, like yeah. the, what, the the massive subdial one with the Breguet numerals and all hand engraved. I, I just find that. And when I saw it, when Cho Cho had it, Mark mm. had it, and he said, "Oh, you've got to turn, you've got to turn the crown." <laughs> and and this is these are things as a does it like, click nicely? Yes, it does. <laughs> this it's really it's a full yeah. like uh, what's that um, what's that thing with the sound ASMR? Yes, again, I'm pretty sure you made the same reference to Mark on your podcast with what? Because you said his voice could be calming because you said like I didn't say ASMR. He just got he's got a very soothing voice. Though. Yeah, but someone said you or your colleague said. You could like, there are people who, oh no, he said one of his uh, friends puts the videos for his kids before they go to sleep to try and calm oh. them down. <laughs> yeah, and then you right. made that reference. I'm pretty sure you did. What, with the crown? No, 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 no. The the auditory thingy. Or at grandpa. audio porn. Auditory thingy that yeah, you yeah. kids are talking no, about. I don't know, whatever the acronym <laughs> But um, anyway, that's saying. my first, that's my, that's my first uh, independent watch. Super cool. I mean, I, I, mean, cool. I don't know. Look, I, I just really, there's something about that whole, because I'm so stuck in, I, I just love that kind of, I love that, I love all the old design, like Breguet numerals, I love all the sort of fussy, the, I like as, weird sort of asymmetrical subdials, clearly. Asymmetric watches. See? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah no, so I, so I get it completely. Um, I think that that was a really good choice. Um, I can validate that. <laughs> Thank you. I the, think, pa- the Pope approves. Uh, the can you give me the... the, 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 the thank you very much. Uh, you did that remarkably well, Thank man. you. Uh, Catholic, Previous job? Seven years of Catholic school. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's all there. Um, no, I would say that, um, you know, it, it, how can I put this? Independent watch. How can I put it so insulting you, Phil? No, 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 not <laughs> at all. No, I think it's a great choice. I think, um, you know, and I was looking at some of his watches too and, and Mark was sending me stuff 
you know, a couple of years ago because he did like a trunk show during COVID right. from the Armory, I yeah. think, live from Japan. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Over a widescreen TV that he like turned <laughs> vertically. And <laughs> right. I thought that was genius. We did a trunk show at the Armory a couple of years ago. And I have to say that was really a fantastic experience. That was really, really in New York. I had a, yeah. had a great time. But but no, going back to um, uh, your, your, your recent purchase, I think, you know, it's you have to start somewhere you have to like take a take a punt you have to take a chance um i well, think that- also i find that i mean and this is ridiculous because it's still it's a lot of money but it's not comparatively speaking to all the names you've been sure. banding about and and it's I find it odd that I can spend a substantial amount of money on a car, but somehow watch seems crazy. And yeah. I'm not sure why that wa- that doesn't it's make any sense. It's the exact opposite for me. So it's really? exactly the same. I like, and I think it's because of... Um, so it's it, a Hono 5. No, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> let's play it safe. No, I think, it, I think it's really just a question of, um, uh, like, comfort around knowledge and the market. Right. So you know, even if you're not a car dealer, you've been around... For a while, let's be honest. Thanks. You've been doing this very long for a time. While, you know, uh, in the started horse-drawn carriages. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you beat me to it. But you've been doing this for a while, so you you know the market well. You know how things work, and so you're comfortable. And you've done it a few times, and you've made good decisions. I, I so I understand anyway. <laughs> when you're we've bought and sold cars, right. so you've kind of you've developed a bit of a kind of like. Um, rhythm and a degree but the thing i always think instinct. about is past performance is no guarantee of future no, fine. performance oh, God. Like, okay again not qualified to give financial advice <laughs> at right. all but but the same is true for me for watches you know right. i've doing this for eight years obviously i've we've seen a lot on the inside and and i collect personally privately i buy and sell um you know as new things come along and i need to free up capital um and uh, you know i i've kind of um I've got to a place where I'm, I'm very comfortable with that. When when I bought a vintage car recently for the first time, um, you know, I really, really, really took about three months to make that decision. I, I can't see you really leaping searched. into things. No, no. Generally like, speaking, no. no. Well, I mean, I, sometimes I jump. I jump up like and down. Like that Coca-Cola he bought yeah. willy-nilly yes. at the shop yeah. earlier. <laughs> you know, I just have a Coke. Yeah. yeah it was yeah. crazy, man. Yeah. You don't know the market for that. Well, I was going to say, are we doing a little advert for Coke? <laughs> yes, yes. Sponsored, sponsored by, sponsored, if only, yeah. man. Yeah, if yeah. only. Yeah. If only sponsored yeah. by Coca-Cola. No, but anyway, no, basically, I, I kind of like, I feel... Do you want to talk about your car? Because it's a really lovely car, or is this all top secret? Uh, no, no, no. It's um, well, as you outed me on Instagram two days ago. I know. I, as I, I posted, I was like, "Oh, I should." Yeah. Was that was that rude? Should I have asked? No, no. I, I felt like I was wondering. I just I had to post about it yesterday because I was like, "Oh shit." No, uh, I've been outed. No, I've no been one outed. looks at. No one got. No one yeah, cares. Follows. Yeah. But, uh, no, no. So, so buying. Um, so I've never bought a vintage car before. Uh, I really, um, I'm like very much at the beginning my knowledge of cars is i am more than happy to assist you on I'm, this journey i'm very happy to be to, uh, be, to be led we I can exchange information nothing. yeah yeah this is how i bloody got into cars though i mean watches sorry watches yeah because i sold a car to climber yeah and then all of a sudden i was a ghetto like uh the Lancia flaminia sport yeah, yeah yeah i saw uh, very elegante elegante and, very elegant. <laughs> and but, then i and then i got sucked down the wormhole yeah so i'm happy to take you down the wormhole. i'd be very very appreciative it's just so so i went safe and i bought this 911 t from 1971 and i yeah, actually think really you and i beautiful man look it's very kind of you and i think i follow i think you and i probably have a commonality um one in, like where we share like I, I i tend to be more aesthetically um i'm very visual and i think i'm more aesthetically driven than necessarily anything else like initially i, I do like to kind of geek out and, and go into detail but 
you know, it tends, I tend to be very much like first and foremost, aesthetically interested in something. Right. Um, and I Wait, knew- Wait, when you bought that car, was it in the current spec or did you- No, so current spec, it was, it was so it was exported, so it sold, so it was new in 1970, sold to the American market, was in California until 2015, came back. Single owner or? No, oh. so um, uh, three owners, okay. three past owners. Uh, two in America and, and one over here. And the chap who brought it in in 2015 had it completely and totally rebuilt, um, stripped back. The original, uh, it was originally red. Um, he redid it to slate gray, which was always my favorite color. It's amazing color um, on that car. Absolutely my favorite color for cars. Um, I mean, look, as far as going buying vintage cars goes, the way you've done it, buying a totally redone car mm. is the best way to start mm. off. Because if you start off the other way where you buy one and then all of a sudden it's screwing you over, and it's always breaking, it's always leaking, then that can sour people. Yeah. So buying one that's been completely redone is yeah. a fantastically smart way and, to do it. And I did it. And, and honestly, you I looked genius. at the complete end of the... <laughs> absolutely, complete, <laughs> you absolute genius, like, complete, Walton. Complete, like, lucky spit of the red table. But I, I, I really looked at it the other way around as well. I thought about buying something that needed lots of work and that was a lot cheaper. Right. But it was... I didn't want to wait six months and have at to like best. invest all that ca at best and like you know have to f get recommendations for all the right people for the right. to do the trim to do the engine to do the anyway and in the end i found this car that was exactly the way i wanted yeah exactly the way i wanted and slate gray red interior slate gray red interior matching numbers but it's not a lurid it's not a lurid red interior no it's actually a very nice red yeah because so, that can go, sometimes that can go a bit brothily. So I didn't like, so initially when I bought it, um, when I committed to buying it, uh, initially sight unseen. I, really? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. What, no pictures? Well, no, I, sorry, sight unseen as in okay. I didn't physically inspect it. Okay. No, I got plenty of photos and I was looking at a bunch of cars, but this was quite, you know, it was quite far away uh, in the UK and, and I hated the red initially. Really? I thought it was like, because it, was, it really popped in the colors. It was really right. vibrant. And I thought this is like... Um, like almost like a Chevrolet or something. I just, I just really didn't <laughs> right. like the brightness of the red. Right. Um, and I really wanted a sort of cognac brown. I was yeah. obsessed with cognac brown. That's also an amazing. I love a cognac brown interior. So, so that was, and I said to the guy, "Look, um, now I'm, look here. No, listen here. Now look here, I'm not young paying man. the asking price because uh, I'm not confident that the market outlook is is favourable, knowing nothing about the market outlook whatsoever. This is what you said to him. This is what I said to him. This is amazing, man. And I, I and feel I, like you should be. You're like Anthony Robbins. Who is Anthony Robbins? He's like a, he's a, a like a, he's a coat. He's like a, he's a. Uh, this doesn't. Sound I good. can't. I can't bloody remember <laughs> the word now. Like a, you know, a coach who um, like a life coach. Okay. Uh, thing. He's huge. He's got and he's also and he's literally and figures. He's six, I think he's like six foot six. He's got a set of Sadly teeth I'm like not. a white picket fence. Yeah, again. Um, you know, he's he's. It's about sort of empowerment and business and, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, so so. You just <laughs> so I just I just basically went in and I said, look, um, uh, basically I'm going to want to have the whole thing retrimmed interior in, inside. inside. You know, I don't like it. like about this man. Normally when you well, this is amazing because normally when you're buying a vintage car, you get people down on price because like, oh well, look, you know the the, the blocks cracked or whatever the, the suspension needs doing. But instead you're like, you know, I don't like the way you've done this thing, <laughs> so I'm going to pay less yeah. for and less for the, <laughs> for the thing you, you did. For the thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I got I, I, I made a I, I made it a condition to try sale. that when you when I try and buy a watch of you. You know this uh, strap that <laughs> you put like on there. I, I don't like the dial. Can we yeah. do the dial? Like no, we can't. <laughs> that's where the conversation goes. But basically, I just said, look, and, and I made it a condition that it would be independently inspected by a third party that I that we both agreed well, on. Of course. And and that any work that that person recommended would be done, 
you know, prior to me like buying. So that was kind of covered. But I just I so said out of me, interest, when he inspected, uh, was anything? Did anything need doing? Or uh, it was a relatively short list. It wasn't particularly extensive because right. it was done in 2015 and it had been well maintained. Right. Um, also, I feel like you should tell everyone. It needed an anti. It, so so it, maybe this is like the worst thing to admit. I don't know anything <laughs> about these things. But there was a. There was an anti-roll bar sure. at the back and and or at the front, and he said, Sway "Oh, bar. there should be one at the back as well, okay. like just to to make it more enjoyable driving experience." I feel like that's the equivalent of like uh, learning wheels on like a bicycle. No, no, no. You want to have that on a Porsche because it's yeah. rear engine, yeah, and the on early ones are very tail happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what so, I read. That's yeah. what I read. So I was happy also about you should that. tell everyone that you 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 expunged. You excommunicated all your normal cars, <laughs> and this is I your ma- this is your daily driver now. Yeah, I mean, look, it's. Um, do you drive here in that? No, no, no I didn't. I, I, what I'm trying to do is, um, so I'm trying to keep. Uh, so, so I'm using this as an excuse to 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 bicycle more and to walk more and to use public transport more right. because it wasn't reasonable how much I was driving, um, and now I live further away from work than I used to. Um, it's not. You know, it's it's more of a kind of it has to be something that I plan a little bit more than just a kind of spontaneous. But it decision. is a commitment, though. Yeah, which is but it, amazing. But it's, but it's but it's great because you know I live in London. I don't need a car. Right. No one needs a car. And so like and and logically to follow that through, if I don't need a car, then ultimately then you need a car that's ridiculous and impractical. The, that's ridiculous and impractical. <laughs> let's just follow the logic. Let's line. follow. So, it, but but it's like it's a pleasure. It's purely right. for pleasure. In the right. same way that say you know you don't need a watch. Sure. You've got a mobile phone. You want to check the time. Look, you know you could you could. There are a million cheaper, I'm a, more I'm effective a, I'm ways a, of telling the time. A, I'm, I'm a, a real fan of driving an unusual old vintage car in the city. Yeah. Because it makes uh it's such a joy. Because it. it's kind of um and I do it in New York as much as I can. And it's just uh first of all, people seem to appreciate it. Yeah. Especially in New York. Because here I feel like I see amazing cars everywhere all the time. Yeah. But in New York you don't see that much stuff. So but, yeah. So what's fun for, been fun for me is when I, I used to drive a GTS um, and I sold that you know, lockdown for a more practical car. Yeah. But I used to get, it was pretty 50-50. You'd get a bunch of people looking and thinking. Yeah, but that's a modern car. Porsche, right? Yeah, a modern Porsche. Yeah, yeah. So, but, that, but, but, but that's what I'm saying. Modern cars don't get that no, kind of. No, I get of, it. But that, so, so the, for me, the it? compare and contrast was like really remarkable. Like the, the, you, you, when, you, when I drove the GTS, like firstly. You're, if, you're driving, if you're driving a modern sports car, yeah. you're kind of a dick. Yeah, you are. Automatically. You're, Everyone, you're just you look, a dick. People look at you. Basically, yeah. no 90% one has any... of people think you're a dick. And you're yeah. like, oh, I'm a dick. Yeah. But then, but then, but then you, <laughs> you get look a in the mirror and go, car. wait a minute. Yeah. But when you get a vintage car, it's almost like they sympathize for you because they know it's a nightmare if something I is wrong. I don't think that's what it is. But I... Everyone is so nice. Because I think wonderful. people. I think people appreciate, um, this is going to, Maybe this is. I I feel like when you this drive is a something. Compliment. <laughs> you're a very handsome man driving a beautiful car, Silas. <laughs> no, no, but I think when you're yourself. driving something like that, people are delighted. It's you're giving someone an aesthetic gift. Yeah. And I know this sounds stupid, but yeah. I feel like there's so much ugliness in yeah. cities and surrounding us that when you drive, although less so in London, more so in New York. But when you're driving something like your car, people look at it and it's a and it's a gift because it's something lovely. So and it also, and also, it. it says you're committed to like this thing, like you say, like oh, it could break down. But I don't think people think. I just think, oh, it's that guy's driving a lovely old car. Mm. And and you know, the only other thing that's a little bit irritating is that now you get people constantly 
Oh, coming up to you and asking you something. Or, or like taking photos and just right. like, I mean, it's not, it's not irritating. I, I'm like, that sounds incredibly arrogant. It's very flattering. And <laughs> it's too late. When people ask me, it's out there, it's out there it's now. Like, like, like the true personality <laughs> is revealed. No, I just, uh, you know, you get, you, you get people kind of like leaning in and looking close and, and, you know, standing by the car and, Right. Most people are super considerate, but it is it is funny Sitting how the like car, taking selfies. You know, I, I got stopped the other day um, when For speeding. So, so so I asked my photographer to take a photo of the car because I'm a terrible photographer. I I'm didn't want to embarrass myself. Phrase. I asked my photographer. Well, as you my do. photographer. I, I asked a photographer. Who, <laughs> Too who, late, man. It's all coming out now. Fine, fine. I asked. I asked. Uh, I, I the one who's doing the documentary, Walton, the documentary, as it's been called. That's, that's right. Uh, straight to DVD. <laughs> that's um, right. No, he, he took a phone, and, and we got approached by this um, this man and this lady uh, who were like, "Oh, that's an amazing car." Um, and before, like, before I could say anything, they asked me a question. I can't remember what it was. They were like, "Don't worry, we're influencers too." Oh my like, god, can that's we take amazing! A photo? And I just, and I just kind of like, I was just like, "Oh no, what am I doing?" But I thought like, that was always your dream. I know, dream. I know. I mean, I know, is I that know. the point of a collect? You just want to be an influencer? No, is that like, so it's, wrong? It's, it's no, there's nothing wrong. A man can dream. A man can dream. Silas, I, and I look was, at you now. Well, you can tell. It's it's my whole vibe. Um, <laughs> that's right. But I just, I just, you know of, that that's uh, the only currency that matters to children. Just FYI. What? I know you don't have kids. Yeah. That I know, but. Influencer. Or me. I was in a. I was. This is this. This is the only thing that made me cool to my nephew. In I was in a Chinese buffet restaurant in Toronto. Yeah. With my daughter, my family, my in-laws, my daughter and nephew. Um, and some guy comes up and goes, "Are you Mr. Enthusiast?" No way. <laughs> and it was. And and immediately, my <laughs> my nephew looked at me with amazed eyes. Yeah. And immediately, I was yeah. then no longer an, a dick. I was no longer yeah. irritating Uncle Phil. I was someone yeah. to be reckoned with, a yeah, force yeah. to be reckoned with. Well, I well, I'm ni neither an influencer nor a person of well, actually, actually to be recognised in a restaurant. But I will say this: you I actually, remember, you know, you are man. Because no, I'm not. You're what no, you've not. done. Your your website and the way in which you. Well, website sounds, uh, sounds your little blog, your charming little blog. My MySpace. Yeah, that's right. Your Friendster account is, has done amazing things. Well, I'm very grateful. Uh, but, you know, but I'll no, never forget. You have, oh, go on. Go no, on. I was just going to say, I'll never forget. Um, uh, went for breakfast. I was about to give you a compliment, man. I, well, you you felt it. it coming and you didn't want it. You I, felt embarrassed. But I, I kind of like, I remember having breakfast with Ben Clymer one time in New yeah. York. And it was the first time we met kind of one-on-one -on -one and... and, and just you know, sort of got to chat, and um, we were, we were. It was really really enjoyable. We've been talking for about an hour, and then these two guys from like the table across just kind of leant in and interrupted. Like oh, I'm sure they apologized. I, I I can't remember. And they were like, and obviously they they recognized Ben. They were like. Are you Ben Clymer, the fan right. of Hadinky? Yeah. And they just had like a little like fanboy moment. Sure. And Ben handled it like really well. He's he, very good about it. He was stuff. very, very He's charming. He's very, very charming about it. And, and like, and he just kind of like answered their questions. And I can't remember if they wanted a selfie or not. I, I don't remember. Um, and then he kind of like dealt with it. And, and then we just carried on and, and right. party kind of re returned to their table. But it was. I just and you're dreaming. I, no, I wasn't dreaming. It's just you're that, that I spent, I spent <laughs> this whole, I spent, you know, whatever it was up to that point, five years in this space in kind of isolation in London with an occasional kind of like jolly to Switzerland for the various like trips that you go on. And then, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one meetings and coffees with with people that I, that I knew. And so I had these like relationships with individuals that I really enjoyed in a kind of like, you know, in a, in a, in a private setting of like a, you know, it wasn't like a party or whatever. And then suddenly people recognizing Ben 
and interrupting our meal to basically like ask for his photo. Right. I remember being like, I remember thinking, oh, wow, you know. It's possible. This, it, well, not that it's possible. It's just like I'd never come across this before. Um, well, there's something. The, the thing about making a, having a business is, well, the way you do. Or, well, well when, when you, when you, when you, <laughs> when you, when you, when you're making something, a company or a, a or a piece of art or whatever it happens to be, you're, you're so inside of it that it never occurs to you that people, ha you never consider the people that it might affect and how they might love that and how they will, they may, you know, how it will affect you when you're in public. Mm. And it's because you're inside of that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's, uh, that's true. And I, and I always find it, um, I'm, I'm, Shit with compliments. I, I like, but that's very like, English. No, but like, you need to I spend think, more I think time I'm in particularly America. Particularly bad at it. My sister. I'm going to give remember, you a lot of compliments for, in a minute. No, don't. No. I, I remember. <laughs> please, I remember, please no. I remember. Like, I have a very, very distinct memory. This is the most niche of like examples. I think I was about twelve. I was on holiday with my family. I was playing what the French call pétanque yeah. at a neighbor's house uh, in in France. Um, my sister was there, my brother was there, our neighbor was there, and I think my dad was there. And we were taking it in turns. And my sister, in a moment of real frustration, like I think she'd, she'd done a good move or whatever it was, she said, she turned to me and my brother, but particularly to me, and she said, you never give compliments. <laughs> and, and, and she was really upset. And, and I remember like thinking, okay, maybe she's got a point. And so I deliberately gave her a you compliment. You were 12 when you thought your sister had a point? That's, that's <laughs> impressive, man. Do, 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 I mean, you're a very yeah, self-aware 12-year-old. Well, she put me on the spot and I thought about it thereafter. Right. But what was interesting is I thought about it more and more over the years. And I tried consciously to, you know, I'm not great at it, but I try consciously to give compliments spontaneously when, when it feels, you know, justified or deserved you feel you know that's all at odds that entire sentence is at odds with itself yeah i try to be spontaneous I know. About fine 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 but i but i, I try and i'm I try waiting and... i await fine, fine i wait the tsunami i like, I like, I like your trousers there i like your trousers i like so your wait, glasses but so, so the point was so they de so so I've... i just i also am not comfortable with compliments sure and, it, and it's not in any sense whatsoever that i'm modest i'm not i'm absolutely as egocentric as the next person right but i just there's something I just don't know. Do you how find to them de destabilizing? Because mm, I'm, I think bit. maybe perhaps in if there is a with insults. If there, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy for an insult. If there is an opportunity insult. for a watch exchange negotiation, I feel like a barrage of compliments right before we hon <laughs> the handle on the price. I mean, the guy, okay, fine, just take it. Just stop saying I look great. Fine, fine, fine. Stop saying you fine. like my sneakers. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I just, yeah, it is funny, but but so I compliments really are had. weird. Yeah, I when I'm complimented, and let me tell you, it happens a lot. I'm so well, I'm sure it does. I mean, it's amazing. It's just how constant. Yeah, people in those it's, streets. It, yeah, it's, your wife. <laughs> she hates it not, again. Not, <laughs> strangers again. No, again. Can't you just be humble and discreet and and disappear like a wallflower? Like, you need to spend time in America, life. where yeah, you know, accepting compliments is it's just yeah. part of the yeah, yeah, just how it's done. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm working on it, but it's just um, it is it's weirdly embarrassing. But it is I I will say this: it is incredibly satisfying when you meet someone. Um, be, I, well, I suppose the compliment thing probably comes from a lack of being able to tell whether someone's being sincere or if they're just saying it for the sake of it. And I'm not very comfortable dealing with insincerity because I can't mask my feelings. I've right. never been good at masking. Like I very much like wear. I'm my also terrible on. at that. Yeah, so I, I wear my feelings on my sleeve. That's why I used to get fired. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> that's why I fire people. <laughs> but it's no, but it's it's just like I'm very bad at hiding what I think. Yeah. And so if you put me on the spot and you give me a gift that I don't like, 
I'm, you know, my mind is going to be racing thinking, okay, whatever it is, just react well. Right. And if you're giving me a compliment on the spot, you know, I will, I'll be thinking, is he being sincere or is he just saying it to be nice? And and that kind of like process then like destabilizes me. Um, but when when this you is meet amazing people, for negotiate future yeah, watch well, negotiations. Don't well, that's why I'm not in charge of negotiations. That's why I don't <laughs> shit, start. But like when, that's why when people that's when you go allow me to introduce you to my colleague. Yeah, you, you joke, but it's, I know it's I don't joke. I know that's what would happen. I know that's exactly what would happen. You know, because otherwise it's awkward. But no, I I um I definitely the first time someone genuinely came up to me or was introduced to me or whatever the context was I can't remember where they were you know they were sincerely kind of like enthusing about what we do and um and it and you know it, it had not really happened before that that we'd in- met people right you know basically outside of say the office or like very specific scripted right. situations your parents my parents <laughs> um I remember like it really it was really tremendously satisfying it was incredibly. But I've been enthused over your over collected man yeah, but you're numerous you. times. You, you, say nice you don't, it doesn't mean anything. You're if the you mayor say- of Blatheropolis. <laughs> you just, you just, you, you fire off a sequence of verbose statements and sentences. Yeah, but I, that- but I, but I only do it about things I like, or things I don't like actually. Well, the verbosity makes it less awkward. Ah, it's, an, it's almost like you can hide the compliment in the shrubbery. Exactly, exactly. Ah, it's concealed in, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in the bushes. It's, it's more subtle. No, I mean, I've said this to you before, but I think that you, I, I, as an ex-art director, the way that things are shot, the way your art direction is, I know you said you, 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 you know, you, you want to, you want to revamp things, but, and, and, and also I, I just like the things you write about because it's not the obvious stuff. And I'm obsessed, as you may or may not know, I like, I'm a, such a fan of the non-obvious things. So yeah, I like the fact that you, you don't, yeah, but you don't, you don't, I mean, I guess that that's in your very nature because of independent watch brands. That's what you do is not to look at the obvious. But still, I really admire that and I really like it. And now it's very awkward. We should have, a, do we have a couple of minutes of awkward silence? <laughs> just, Time just, for a pee? I'll look away, oh. you look away. We <laughs> just right. kind of like avoid eye contact the birds, for 30 we can, seconds. We can put in some chirping noises. background noise. That's right. Uh, no, that's very kind of you, Phil. I appreciate <laughs> no, it. No, but I really mean it because um, it's, can we talk about the, are you allowed to, can we talk about the RM, uh, Thin watch, or you not let you can't say anything. You can't say things. I, oh. I <laughs> okay. You know what? You let's just refer back to your face as everything. No, so. it's, it's it's it is it is what it is. Look, I think um, Hajamil push watchmaking to uh, it's kind of like technological zenith. I would say um, mechanical watchmaking to its kind of technological zenith. They experiment boldly with new things and new technologies. Are you reading from a teleprompter? I am reading. I from feel a like you. You know what you're doing right now. It's like when you watch hostages. <laughs> Listen, can I, I denounce- just get through my prepared statement, please, <laughs> without being interrupted? I denounce America as an imperialist <laughs> nation and also yeah, yeah, capitalist yeah. I, I'm, pigs. I'm not doing this under. Well, under I, okay. Well, you know what? I'll go on a, a Richard Mille uh, rant and just. I, I find I I really admire. First of all, the kind of the marketing of it all. It's yeah. kind of genius. There is a genius to it that he decided he went, you know how people tend to want to make things. There's a, there's well, maybe there isn't, but I feel like people want to make things reasonable. Yeah. There's a reason, there's a kind of a reasonable reflex in most people who make stuff. Yeah. But he has said, he took that and said, that's ridiculous. I'm going to make it unreasonable. And yeah. that's the marketing is I'm unreasonable. Yeah, in the, uh, and and I, I have no interest in. I find for the most part the watch is really uninteresting. I know that they're technologically the materials, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I just find them really interesting, uninteresting. Um, although I do like, um, I do like the ones uh, he did that were based off sweets, off candy. <laughs> I found that really. I like that. That was to me that was interest. That was imaginative. Yeah, and I'd never seen that, and I thought that was. I just liked the whimsy of it all. So this is where I declare an interest. 
So I'm waiting for an RM67, okay. which is which uh, one is that? A very, very, very thin watch. Um, That's not like the gas station credit card one you just it's made. It's not. It's not the gas station credit card. <laughs> um, it is a. It's in titanium. Uh, it's looks more like an. Uh, elegante, uh, an elegante. <laughs> it looks more like an elegant okay. than anything, um, and it weighs very little. And I was never an RM person. I think um, in the same way that I wasn't a Rolex person at all. In fact, I was so skeptical and snobby about Rolex in the first, you know, few years that I was in this industry. I was like, you know, really like smirky about people with Daytonas and just going for the kind of like. The, the the mass market appeal of like sure. the safe choice. And then one day I tried on a Daytona and I was like, this is incredible. Like this is a lot smaller on my wrist and sure. feels incredible. And do you have a Daytona? Yeah, so I have a Daytona. So Which I, Daytona so I, do you I, have? So, so I'm, I forget what the reference, is it 116? Oh, the one from the 90s? No, 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 I have no? The, the ceramic bezel oh, I one, see. the black dial. I had one, I, I, LV. I, I savaged them of course for years and then I bought one and yeah. I really liked it, but then I sold it. Because yeah. I, I had the 90s one because I just, you know what it is? It's just, it's all pure ego. Like, and I always say this, you, I just don't want to have the same thing as everyone at the sausage party. Yeah. yeah. But you can have, you know, so, so I, I enjoy that Daytona. I, I wore that Daytona during lockdown, working from home more than any other watch. Right. I bash it around. I scratch it. I, I it's, it's, it, it, for me, it is, it is, yes, it's a luxury watch. But it is really quite utilitarian. Sure. And I, and I genuinely have no concerns about it sort of being sensitive to a to a knuckle, this that, and the other, right? Uh, and it and I wore it very very comfortably for a long time, and I still have it. I love it, but I was conscious it's quite heavy, and I think it's one of those things where once you go down a rabbit hole again, I never <laughs> ever ever would have imagined owning a Hushamil, but then one day I wore an RM02, which was the second watch that they developed. Um, the Hushamil developed right in the beginning in titanium again, I think it was, and I wore it for a couple of days. And it was just insane. It was just incredible having this incredibly light, right. really well made. Yeah, thing. no, you're right. I mean, because I've lived, I've felt, and it, the 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 lightness of it yeah. is is kind of a thing. So, so I'm 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 very aesthetically conservative. Like, let's like I'm not I'm not one of those people who's gonna I'm never gonna be attracted to something particularly outlandish, particularly right. kind of like loud. I've always gone for. I'm surprised. You know, yeah, I know, I know. I mean, you I'm more of like a grayscale. Yeah. I'm more of a monochromatic <laughs> grayscale. You're a grayscale gentleman. Grayscale gentleman. Um, but you know that that RM67. I, after I tried it on, I was just blown away. Do it you was like just... that Piaget? So I like Piaget. I the, love the what super, Piaget the super thin. Yeah, I know. Um, the Antiplano is that what it's called? I think it looks beautiful. It does look beautiful, but it's one of those things where it's great that it exists. I'm delighted it exists, but <laughs> I don't necessarily want it. Right. And I think it's one of those things where there are so many things that exist out there that I I really am happy exist, and and they appeal to a certain type of collector and a certain subset of the market. But it's it's okay to admit that that isn't me. Right. Um. You know, for example, I. Love the Bul Bulgari Optifinissimo. Oh, you line. know, it's so interesting. But it's it's and it's but it's too big on my it's, wrist. It's too big for me. It's too big on my wrist. The I one would I, love it was. Yeah. I would love to own one. Yeah. I would love to. Own I one. really like the it's um, too big. The well, I love the uh, the black uh, skeletonized one. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. One. And I, and but you're right. For same for me. I tried it on and it was um, and it was just it's too big for me. I can't. I it, it, it's the square case i guess and it's you know i can't wear anything that's bigger than like 39 and a half right it's how just, big are they so i don't know but i know that when i've tried them on they've always been too big on my wrist do you like uh, uh, uh i do 
I do, I do, I do. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big Ressence fan. I think that... Um, Why do you think that every time I post the Ressence, I'm a massive fan also, and every time I post it, everyone always is up in arms about the price. And, it, and it's not... They are very... They're a lot of money. Yeah. But in the context of, in the, of a lot of independent watches, to me at least, they seem about average-ish. Mm. Would you say that's true or not? Yes. Uh, I think it's just that they don't immediately strike you unless you're a watch guy as kind of luxury luxury and yeah. i think as a result they seem very you know they seem like an evolution of a kind of swatch type thing right and i think that people find that the disparity in their mind's eye and intrinsically or instinctively between how they feel you know how they instinctively think it's worth what they think instinctively think it's worth even if they like the design versus actually the amount of r and d and like research and development that went into right. designing it and the kind of originality of the mechanism, the kind of sure. bellows mechanism, um, that there's a big gap there. Right. And so I think that, you know, you're right it, because people like Ikepod. Sorry, I was just going to say it's like you yeah. know the types of people that it appeals to, by and large, are more design-led, and those people are not necessarily the target market for a, a really expensive watch. They're they're in the market for something that's you know, a thousand to kind of ten thousand dollars. If I were to really broadly like generalize it, you know, sure. because they don't want to spend, they're prepared to spend up to a certain level for something that's purely aesthetically pleasing to them from an originality perspective, but they don't, you know, they're not prepared to pay a premium in most cases for something that's under the bonnet that doesn't, you know, for for them is is kind of an so not really that, relevant. Uh, so how does um how does how do they fix that? How do they fix that? So I, I think that um, I think they are. Is this a longevity that. thing? Like yeah, just, th if you're around long enough, eventually people come around. Yeah, is that I, I think so, and and I think that it's. Um, I think that you know I can't I can't really talk about it, but I but <laughs> I that there are I think that they're working on things okay. um, that I think have a um, will increasingly kind of make people aware of of the kind of depth of the value oh, proposition. Oh, how exciting! That's and cool. I, and I think that. Um, you know, they've done some really interesting limit, limited edition collaborations with Adinky. Um, that one they did for... Siddiqui. Um, yes, that one. Yeah, exactly. I love that one. I think that's fantastic. I, I would love was, to get one of those. Yeah, I agree. I think that was... And, and they did multiple. And I thought they yeah. were all really, really attractive. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just a question of time. And, right. And, and people will eventually kind of like cotton onto it and... Um, it is very impressive. You're right, though. It is. It's funny. I guess I guess it's an aesthetic proximity to things that seem cheap. Yeah. Like, for instance, if you look, I have the Type 5B dive watch. But if, if you didn't know, you would assume it was a smartwatch. Yeah. And yeah, I think yeah, totally. that's the thing. I think that when people spend 30 or 40 grand, they want people to know that they've spent, you know, they want it yeah. to look like they've spent 30 or 40 yeah. grand. So so that's part of the signaling thing, right? It's, you sure. know, unfortunately, there's, there's always going to be that element you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how pure your intentions. It doesn't matter how uh, much of a contrarian you are, and how like much you don't care necessarily about you know social approval, whatever it is, or peer respect. The truth is, it's always present. It's just a degree of presence in the decision making purchase, uh, decision making process. And so I think that you know, it, it, it is tricky being having a brand that looks and feels watches that look and feel so utilitarian and out there, but in the luxury price segment. Right. Um, I love. I think the entry level is really is one of the most yeah. beautiful watches. You mean the the blue one that yeah. they released uh, this yeah, year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but I, I feel like the strap is cheap. The strap looks terrible to me, but I haven't seen yeah. it in person. But I love. I think it's really beautiful. I, yeah. I, and I and I and I almost feel in some ways it's almost 
more successful that design language the yeah. simplicity of it but I, I applaud them just because he's created his own vernacular yeah and that's really hard to do yeah totally and, and, and I feel like people don't appreciate how tough that is to make your own words yeah totally and I guess it's the same reason you appreciate you appreciate IQPod yeah 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 I mean I, I yeah I guess so yeah the 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 I find that the Particularly the megapods, the larger ones, mm. the 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 level of kind, of, the beauty of the busyness is 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 extraordinary to me. Yeah, it actually reminds me a lot of the Navitimer. Yeah, the fifties Navitimer. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. That's a very busy dial. I love busy dials, man. Yeah. Or oh, I like nothing on them. Yes. Yeah. The thing I'm That's designing has nothing on it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, but now that you've, <laughs> well, it will be awkward now that because all this pressure has been built up will, <laughs> and the expectations are so high, and we've you've I spent can, all that time slagging everyone else off. I know. Well, exactly. If it's, a, if it's anything sort of brilliant, uh, I can assure you that that people will have no mercy. I I'm, I think you're absolutely right, man. I think because I'm the most miserable of people. I'm an armchair designer. I sit around like casting judgment on cars and watches that. You know, I have no experience in designing any of that stuff. So I'm well aware that it, I'm this watch that I'm doing with this friend of mine, Alfred, in Hong Kong, um, you know, it could be that everyone's going to go, holy shit, that is fucking ugly as shit. I'm but sure they won't. I'm looking forward to seeing it. It could be. You yeah. never, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there'll be strokes of genius. There'll be, there'll be Man, strokes that, of Toledana. Yeah, well, I don't know if that's the same as genius, but that, that, that's well, very kind of you to say. Fine. See, now I feel all awkward because you're saying nice things. Uh, once in a blue moon, I'll say something nice. Occasion, it just slips out. Just by accident. But um, yeah, no, so it's, um, I think Crescence will definitely have their um, increasingly have their time in the sun all right yeah. well that's good to know yeah i'm always interested in i kind of i have this urge to buy another one yeah so other than uh the watch that you mentioned earlier from the okay Japanese here's a here's a, here's a here's a oh this is a magnificently awkward question okay you're familiar with all the bits and pieces i own if you had to have one watch i owned uh, <laughs> you're forced geez. you're obliged under duress jeez <laughs> Please. This is great. You, and where's your Fitbit? Uh, <laughs> I would, I would. I love a Fitbit. I've always loved your Fitbit. So I, I really, 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 really like the um, the Patek Beta Twenty Ones in white gold. Uh, okay. Um, I forget what the reference number is. You know. I don't know the me. reference number. Either. But I, but I really, they're big, so they're probably a bit big on the wrist for me. How big's your wrist? Uh, this is a weird watch. Nerd I don't question. know, but I can't wear bigger than like thirty nine mil, thirty nine and a half max. Right. But but they're um, they're lugless. They're lugless. And of course, you know, in many cases, you can't remove the bracelets. I have, have the two them. removable. Oh, you mean to make it smaller? Yeah. 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 Which is which is tricky. Um, definitely wasn't like designed for, for you know, being passed on the, to other people. The Rolex Midas is like that. Yeah. Like they only made it in that one size and you can't cut the back. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I think the Texan, I think the... Um, could Texano. Be the Texano, I think that, that has the same thing, no? Or was it... Um, well, it has some uh, correct. Uh, you know, I don't know how it works. I haven't but, seen but, one. But basically, I, I, I think that... Um, if you're forced, you take a Beta 21. Well, I take, no, I take... Um, Against I really will. like white gold Beta 21s. Same. Well, Patek Beta 21s. And, um, you know, I, I think that they will have their time in the sun, you know, equally. I'm right? waiting. Yeah. I'm <laughs> you, waiting. You may be parched. <laughs> you may be, you may, it may be sun, I'm so may be thirsty. Sun, sunstroke. Yeah, <laughs> My skin's peeling off at this point. <laughs> it's like finally a century. Yeah, later. please. We finally got there. But it's, it's no, I, I really think, um, I really think on all levels. I, I was in a discussion recently, a private discussion in Switzerland, uh, arguing about whether someone should receive an award or not. And it was about technology and about silicium and silicon parts and 
um, whether that person should be recognized for their contribution to, you know, let's say the future technical evolution of the market. Um, and one person was opposed and said, look, you know, I think that I just don't think that we should be rewarding someone for developing something that will render large parts of mechanical watchmaking obsolete. And I said, well, but isn't that progress? I get it, but Ish? you know, in in the nineteen sixties and seventies, when quartz technology came around, you know, it was Patek and it was Omega, um, who kind of along with Rolex, uh, Rolex, Piaget, like you know, developed this technology, and they they found ways to implement it, and not only did they find ways to kind of make it relevant to their market and to, to develop something out of it, but they also hugely responded, the whole industry responded to this like mythical quartz crisis. Sure. Yes, a third of the industry was, was shelved or something like that, but but from the ashes of that, that you know, um, almost existential crisis came some phenomenal watchmaking, ultra slim automatic perpetual calendar wristwatches from from Audemars from from Vacheron, from Patek. All these right. things were born of that period of like self doubt and reinvention. And I think that well, that's actually when that's when the most interesting stuff of happens. Of course, it does. Crisis always generates the most interesting things. Of course, it does. And and I think that the reality is that in almost all sectors, large successful businesses eventually kind of sit on their to a degree sit on their hands. Yeah. And so it's only when they suddenly fear for their future and they're challenged to kind of reimagine what that might look like and themselves the the kind of the the best stuff comes about because you get to a point where it's like well I can't afford not to take a chance that's right and but so, that's why I'm yeah. so obsessed with Patek in the 70s because I feel like they were so audacious like if I look at Patek in the 70s versus Rolex in the 70s other than sort of the Midex Cellini line yeah there was they weren't really doing and it was and even the they were it was all sort of evolutionary yeah tiny steps yeah but Patek was really just they were just leaping yeah. And they were doing such, and I, and I, and I, in a weird way, I would love to see them in crisis now, just so I could see what they would come up with, so I could see them display some degree of imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think because um, it's, I find it's just. Sorry, go on. You were, were you about to slam Patek? I was. I, I, I actually Didn't had slammed. I had. You had. I had. It, 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 it happened, implied. Silas. It was, yeah, it was implied. <laughs> uh, I, I think that. Um, I think that unless you, every so often you have to kind of embrace discomfort and kind of sit in sit in what that feels like and recognize that that you know just because something has worked so far it doesn't mean it's going to carry on working. Sure. And I'm speaking obviously as much as a kind of business owner as I sure. am. You know, you know, alluding to other industries that have right. this kind of situation. And I think you have to kind of sometimes be you have to find a way to make peace with and react po respond rather than react positively to to what that you know potentially means in terms of reinvention and you know examining what you're doing well what you're not doing well why other people are coming up and doing it as well or better than you um, and i think you have to be you have to be comfortable with figuring out a path that takes you to a happier place into a better place um, and I think that challenge, whether it's the quartz crisis, whether it's a global financial crisis, whether it's whatever it may be, one of those situations that's outside of your external control and just hits you like a tsunami. I think those things, yeah, can be forces for good. And I think that, that complacency is the enemy, really, of everything, you know, in Always. business. I think complacency is the enemy of innovation, the enemy of disruption, the enemy of, um, you know... <sighs> 
competition. Sometimes it can go horribly wrong. It can. Like I was looking at, I was, I, I was, uh, I was with someone the other day, and they were wearing one of those Audemars Piguet. Uh, was it code eleven fifty nine? Don't put me in this. Don't put me <laughs> And I will not. That. And I was just going to say, I love that watch. It's a lovely Very watch. Good. I'm glad you like it. Well done, Phil. Well done. Here's a farthing. <laughs> Run along now, child. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'll just... But it was. But I, you know, it was interesting. I'm not going to. You you could just you just why don't you have a sip of your coke while I while I ramble <laughs> please <laughs> well please. I, I just it was interesting to look at it because going back to the typography thing there's someone there's a brand. It, the type I mean it, there was just so many things about it that just seemed um, I'm always interested when companies make terrible things whether it's cars or watches because I'm I'm just interested how that how that must I guess it's that I guess that it's the kind that things acquire um, they acquire momentum mm. and once they've acquired momentum the momentum, momentum of mediocrity is, 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 is impossible to stop do you know what I mean? Like, I think the, so, the momentum the, of mediocrity. Yeah. Do you want that on the t-shirt? Can I use that? Yeah. It's my yeah. gift to you. The momentum of mediocrity. Do you That's, know what I mean? No, it is be because my, mediocrity has its own momentum in the same the way that, you know, people talk about Stalin talking about uh, quantity is a force all of its own. Yeah. Um, in particular in the context of what's happening now. But in the, but in, but mediocrity has a force all of its own. Enough people it's like say hole. it's good. Yeah. Then then in then it then it prophecy. yeah and it gathers speed and it and then it emerges into the world as something that's terrible, but a lot of people have said it's good somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. And I and I think that um you know, I, I think that um so I think Code eleven fifty nine was a in many ways a very brave yeah, yeah, step. it was very audacious. Very audacious, very bold. Absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, however history judges it, and I would say the jury's still out, I definitely don't think it will be, I think it's unlikely to be a failure. I, I actually suspect that in the long term it will be quite successful in the same way that many things were very unpopular out. at the start. And that's sure. a bit of a, um, what's the expression? It's just like a bit of a, an old trope. But but it's true. Yeah. I think lots of things, the Daytona, the the Royal Oak, you know, all these things, sure. the Nautilus, these things weren't necessarily popular or successful when they when they first came out. Um but they they develop a kind of cult status subsequently because maybe times catch up to the design and the aesthetics and then they right. become more relevant. They were just either ahead of their time or sometimes behind their time. Um but I think that I think that it's, you know, if you're if you're Unmapigir you have this one absolutely kind of like genre market defining model sure. that that is you know 90% of your your activity or whatever it is um and it's very risky and it's very scary to to take a chance and push for something new and i think you know but i would actually argue man that that if you if you have one model as there's 90% of your business to me that would be a huge impetus to start thinking of other things to generate revenue because what if uh, some well, the market is fickle i think that's what it was i think no, we, no and i agree that's yeah. what i agree that's so, what so, it was so i have to like you know i think people have to be able to divorce perhaps the personality from the product and i think for some people um you know francois benjamin the ceo um who has kind of extremely successfully led the, the brand for 20 plus years well 20 or so years i think it's 20 years but maybe less but you know under his stewardship the brand has done very well. Now, he is, uh, how can I put this? He is a divisive character, I think it's fair to say. Some people hate him, some people love him. Um, I've met him, I was very impressed. You know, it was, he, he's a kind of electric personality. 
Um, I'd probably be scared to work for him. You know, that's that's equally true. Um, but I think it took a certain amount of boldness and vision and balls to, to try something. Yeah. Now, do I like the watch? Would I buy one? Not today. But, and do I think that the way it was released could have been better? Yes, very significantly so. But... Well, how was it? I, how... It was just, it was just, it was, there was a huge amount of build-up on social media. Right. And then basically, you know, the the response on social media and elsewhere was fairly savage pretty savage yeah. and i and i think that that was probably quite gutting um, i'm sure but you know he's a he's a he's a big boy <laughs> let's put it that way he's a big boy ceo and you know i think ultimately um i think history will probably be quite quite favorable to that whatever well, whatever quite, the you're, final you're, execution you're, is of that reference and that right. model or that type of model I, mean, I think already the direction of travel is interesting and i think that probably what will happen just to finish that point is whatever the later versions are that probably do become quite mainstream and successful at some point people will look back and want to collect the early stuff right and by the time that happens 20 years from now or 30 years from now because this is exactly what happened repeatedly in watchmaking history sure those people were like oh that's super cool actually that's a really like paired back version of what's made today right. i want back to basics right and so this in this weird way that stuff that was released not popular and then kind of constantly built on until it eventually got to a point where it hit kind of a level where it was mainstream popular enough to, to have its own life. Eventually, it will develop a, its own like fan base and then people will go back and want the stuff that was right. from the beginning. So you're probably waiting 20 years for that. That's interesting. So I should get a couple of Code 59s. I just, I just think it's like... 1159. There, there, are, there are watches that, that, that definitely don't deserve long-term success and, and there are watches that you and I have talked about before even that like... Uh, clearly not going anywhere no matter how contrarian you want to okay, be what do you think about the the rolex palm dial uh i think that because i'll just say i like it yeah, weirdly i, I mean, don't know why but i think it's and i find it and i kind of like it because it's surprising it's quite surprising do lots of people not like it I've not no really, i think a lot of people I, like it I've i think not it's really easy, paid particular i think it's attention. quite popular yeah I mean, but it's quite surprising i think that's i mean it's it, not many people dislike what rolex do that's true. It's it, you, most people, most people, kind of collectively agree that Rolex is pretty good overall in right. almost all its executions. Yep. There are enough people out there. It, it's rare. Maybe the Cellini line wasn't as as popular. Yeah. Um. But like broadly speaking, this is really not. I my want them to retire that that brand, that sub brand. Cellini. You, you want to? Yeah, I think they because I feel like I it's they a are. terrible. Are they? I heard they were. Yeah. Okay, because it's a yeah. terrible name. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard that, that it is being retired. Okay, yeah. interesting. But I, I don't know when I just heard that on the on the rumor film, right. on the on the on the grapevine. Right. Um, but it, it is. Um, look, I, I just think that like history has this weird way of basically look. The, the watches were made to a very high standard. Uh, like genuinely, the quality of the watchmaking with I think Code Eleven Fifty Nine is very very high. Mm. The design didn't inspire me. Uh, and I didn't inspire a lot of people, but I think that it's just that right now people look at that and they think of it, they compare it unfavorably to like a watch that's a hundred bucks. That's the Daniel like Wellington, brand. exactly. <laughs> right. And and I get that right. you look at it and I get what they mean. The well, kind typographically, of, there's a lot of it's, it's very close. The placement of the date, the yeah. date window, etc. Yeah. I, I I get that, but I suspect that what will happen is, if if I if I if I look at what you you spoke earlier about independent watchmaking and how we kind of like focus on on those things and how we perhaps were a little bit ahead of the curve in appreciating like the value they represented and the originality of that. Actually, 
I would say that the same applies to other areas that we're interested in, like neo-vintage watchmaking. What you do is you look at the fundamentals, you look at the fundamental qualities and characteristics, and you try and translate that into different areas, and you try and run things in parallel and say, okay, so right now, that Roger Dubuis, which is a independent watch brand from 20 plus years ago, 30 years ago, that now is like a mega brand owned by Richemont, completely different animal. But when it was run by this one watchmaker 30 years ago, it was super classical, incredible watchmaking, incredible movements, etc., etc. You look at that stuff and that's done really well in the last three or four years. And then you look at like brands like Frank Muller, another story that's equivalent. You know, now it's very hard to, you never be able to see, you never see a Frank Muller today and think, oh, that's early Frank Muller. But right. Frank Muller had a similar kind of lineage to Roger Dubuis in the early days. And and you can see that that's undervalued a couple of years. It's a couple of years behind Roger Dubuis. And, and, and yet they share very similar What, the early today. Frank Muller's? Yeah, early yeah. Frank Muller's. They're not exactly the same. Like there's probably a greater pedigree in Roger Dubuis in terms of the watchmaking, but, but no expense was spared when he did those watches. And they went massively down and now they've gone very comfortably back up again. And I think you look at that, then you look at Frank Muller, then you look at brands like Parmigiani that are still going today and early Parmigiani and like, well, like actually the watchmaking then was incredible and the price point for, for, for what that represents is massively out, uh, out of kilt with, you know, the intrinsic value of the watchmaking right. and what the rest of the market, com you know, other parts of the market command. And so you look at all those things and you say, the code 1159, aesthetically, not really kind of right at the moment. Fashions will possibly change. The quality of the watchmaking, superlative. The what the movements, the case design, the construction, everything in terms of like the quality of what it, how it was made, fantastic. It's original. It, it may not be your cup of tea, but it's original. And so if I had to place a bet, I would say that it won't be for a while, but in 10, 15, 20 years, I'd bet you any money that early code 1159s will be collectible for the same reasons that other things become collectible because fashions and tastes move on and then people look back and they're like oh this is different and this is like but it's still got the dna of this stuff that now is right. mainstream um i'm willing to bet that there's gonna be a bunch of people buying 1159s off this podcast I, I don't think so i don't think so <laughs> it's um you know again i'm not in a position to give qualified financial advice <laughs> certainly not as, as far as investments are concerned but you can look at fundamentals and you can compare and contrast and i think if you do it well Presumably it's the same with cars. You kind of like, you get lineage, you get provenance, you get quality in manufacturing, and you, you completely understand why certain things are undervalued. Right. I mean, I guess for cars, I've always been interested in, in I was just, I've been interested in, I remember when I started buying Group B cars, uh, I just, it just, I was looking at them and thinking, okay, well, so here's cars that are made in num very small numbers, 200, 400 of these, uh, these examples. Yeah. And they have this extraordinary connection to racing history. Very uh, this, the the last really the golden period of, of racing, um, and people aren't really interested in them. Mm -hmm. So all of those things made me very excited. Yeah, and I, and I get that. Maybe you're just too ahead of the curve. Well, no, well, not no. Now oh. Group B is a whole thing. <laughs> I don't so you you were a tastemaker. Well, I don't know if I was, well I was I was I don't know if I was a tastemaker. I just I just was interested. I. Also, I always you were feel, reading the tea leaves. Well, I feel nervous about. I don't like participating in the froth because I feel nervous that the, well, the music stops and you'll be. Yeah, and I also feel like if like with all the independent watch stuff, I feel like okay, I sort of slightly missed the boat on all those all these people we've been talking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm too late for all that stuff. Maybe like, um, and I, and I also I also just 
I don't know. Like it makes me, it just makes me nervous because it's so frothy and mm. it's so, it becomes so speculative so quickly. So what I would say, uh, what's interesting with independent watchmaking is other than maybe uh, a handful of brands that we've mentioned already, actually, I wouldn't say most of it is frothy. No, you're right. It, you're right. Like the, and that's not me defending my market. I would say that like right now we're seeing a massive course uh, price correction in the market for the, the, the really hype like Pateks and APs and, and Rolexes. But that's because they've been, you know, astronomically growing for the last 18 months yeah. at such a rapid pace that the price is sometimes just made no sense whatsoever. Right. And so we're seeing an 18 to 24 month course, like retroactive kind of price correction. Independence, it was so, so, so kind of overdue that there would be like this mainstream appreciation of it. And even then you're, you're talking about like, you're talking about such little production relative to demand. To demand, yep. um, you know, it's you, you, you. They'd have to. They'd have to vastly increase manufacturing capacity to even like meet in most cases the the level of interest. Yeah. And even if the market goes down fifty percent or a hundred percent, you're still going to have like a lot of people waiting happily to pay. At, you know, the retail price for one of these independents. Um, and as long as they manage their businesses well and they don't go too far in thinking that like, oh, it's really sunny today, so I need to multiply my retail price by four. Right. You know, by two is fine. You know, if, if there's a demand that's like 10 times, 20 times more than, than supply, like like with Recep, Recepi and, and the economic part two, like in those situations, it's fine. But but if it's... What is it about his... This is... Okay. <clears throat> I know you have one. You're going to put me in on... You're going to... No, we're, I, we're I'm... an authorized retailer for Recep, so well, don't make I, me say I, something. I, I mean, no, I, I'm... I, look, again, I'm I'm... Clearly, there's things I can't see. There's a lot of things I can't see. And so when I look at his watches, I see <clears throat> it's a it's a lovely design. But is it is it to me like, you know, is it something extraordinary that that's uh, that I've never seen? I, I don't know. Like, and, and so I'm, I know I'm missing something. Yeah. And and I know I'm I'm. What is it that I'm missing? So if you if you take away the kind of like the zeitgeist idea where like everyone. Like gets together and gets super excited and 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 crowns someone as like the king of kings for that sure. sort of thing. If you can if you can kind of like take that element away and just like remove the the kind of like let's say the kind of artificial groupthink aspect, what Redshep has done in a relatively short space of time is build his own independent brand from scratch. He has an incredible pedigree, an incredible story. Like he was. Um, you know, he was a effectively a, a war refugee from 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 Kosovo. Um, he came to Switzerland and he was a he joined Patek Philippe as an apprentice very early on. Um, he was hyper, like you know, motivated and very successful. He worked for François Pigeon, Epigeon, and he was ah, very so he's talented. Got extraordinary lineage. Oh, he's got incredible. He's worked right. with some of the most impressive movement manufacturers, Bimbi Concept, and people like that. So he has exceptional like pedigree provenance story he has incredible talent like he genuinely has incredible talent um he has done it all himself and he's gone through the gristmill he's had the good and the bad he's had people not liking what he's doing he's had to like carry on he kept going and kept going and then after 10 years or there or thereabouts he released or maybe it was eight years at that point he released the konamek Paha after something called the AK-06, which was a kind of almost like a transitory watch that was like half between the old DNA of his brand called Acrivia and signing watches under his own name called, you know, the Connemec de Paha. And the, the CC, for like, for, for, to make it easy, the CC1, <laughs> yeah. CC2, like, 
they are really just phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal examples of classic independent watchmaking. They are amazingly well made. They are the movements are incredibly, incredibly aesthetically beautiful and fantastic. See, finished. this is interesting because all these things you're talking the, about are yeah. things of which I know nothing. The design of the movement is very original. The case construction is excellent and really original, like very, like very, like really speaks to kind of like the the kind of like the the core of core of like vintage, vintage Patek collectors, for example. The quality of the enamel dials, just all these things kind of come together. And then the fact that he never stops; he's constantly improving. The the, the latest releases, you know, he basically redesigned his movement completely. Right. And and he. Oh, got, I did. I sent you an email, didn't I? Going, hey. Is one of these around? Oh, I, 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 did I just did it go straight to junk? I can't remember. <laughs> no, you said, oh, that was like a year ago. Oh yeah, yeah. no, I mean, like, <laughs> you, you were kind of you were basically laughing at me. I wasn't laughing. It's just like I had. You, you I'm know, sure. You, I'm sure you had like a million people God, going. Hey, if you, if you could imagine, my old friend. If you could imagine the like, yeah, the wave. Even though we we had to manage the whole process very carefully, the the, the amount of demand versus supply for these pieces was sure. just you know, ten, tenfold. I'm sure. Um, and then and then lots of people got in touch who didn't even know that we'd had a waiting list for two years. And like like me. To, yeah, lots of people did. <laughs> and sent me DMs and stuff and I had to explain to them and um, I think possibly a lack of sleep and, and a bit of stress <laughs> at times made me a little bit sharper and more to the point <laughs> with, right. with friends than I should have been, right. um, which I was conscious of thereafter and I, and I even maybe sent a few apologies. <laughs> but but the, the, the reality is if you can take away, let's say, the froth, of like everyone liking someone because more people you know, right. aggregate and congregate. What Retchup is doing and with his brand Acrivia is genuinely the best of his generation of independent watchmaking. Okay. Like it truly is. He is he is he's a thought leader and he he is I think the best independent watchmaker of his age and I think he will probably be one of the most important independent watchmakers of all time. And so it's like at a certain point it's fair enough. It's you know then the practical problems become how do you manage the the massive imbalance between demand and supply and having to disappoint so many people because people will take it personally, you know, and, and people really like him personally. He takes a huge amount of time. Every time people visit, like he will sit down and talk to them. And, and that's something that he's now having to deal with because there are so many people wanting to talk to him that he can't get sit down and work. So right. he's dealing with these modern, very nice to have problems, but he is probably like the the high watermark for his generation and what he's doing is basically you know uh absolutely like setting the standard for for everybody else and he's inspiring lots of people and and not everybody likes what he's doing not all independent watchmakers want to do what he's doing but everyone respects and appreciates the massive success he's had and the huge contribution he's made to i think the independent watchmaking world and all i think this that makes he's me open, think well, he's opened the door he's opened, right. he's shown a younger generation of watchmakers that it's possible to do this, you know, on your own and to have tremendous success. And he deserves the success. Like, I, I think that's... All this makes me realize how little I know. But that's how I feel about cars. <laughs> that's literally how I feel about cars. Is it? I'm embarrassed talking about cars because I, I have like, I have such a kind of like minuscule amount of knowledge. What yep. I know is I love driving. I love, there is, n I don't think there's anything as like a, you know, a daily kind of hobby type thing. There is nothing that gives me greater pleasure than than driving. I'm happy to talk to you endlessly about cars. <laughs> if you, I mean, any, and I've 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 bought or almost bought so many, almost everything worth buying. If I know that sounds like an arrogant yeah, no, statement, I but I feel like it's like there's almost nothing that I haven't that I haven't gone down the rabbit hole of. Oh, I'm going to research this car in, in, intensively, and then I don't buy it or I buy it. 
but I feel within like reason. I mean, there's, I mean, except for of course all the super expensive stuff, yeah. which I could, you know, can't even entertain. But I feel like I've kind of gone for like the vanilla safe choice by going. Yeah, for but that's Porsche. usually where you start. When yeah. my first yeah, that's car. My my, f- <laughs> my friends you know, slagged me off for it. They, they completely they were like, oh, you're so boring. No, look. Getting a vintage the, 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 I got like hate mail. From okay, people. there's a couple of things. One is it's very, I don't know you very well, but it seems very on brand for who you are. Into <laughs> vanilla, very boring. vanilla, boring. No, but it's, original. you know, look, it's a tasteful, solid, sensible choice. And mm. it's a very good start. Mm. Uh, the first car I bought, I bought a 964. Yeah. Which I, for me, I actually, I mean, although it's not, it's not aesthetically as beautiful as what you have, but I find that it's the best of the vintage Porsche in terms of the driving. Yeah. Um, but listen, you've got to start, man. You've, I mean, you know, uh, just to talk about Ben, I mean, I think Ben started off, he had a 356. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of where most people start is you start with Porsche and then as you get into it, you you you, you end up, you know, wanting things that are kind of more and more obscure and less and less common and more and more interesting and more handcrafted or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Um, a, three, a 356 is more like less of a, um, less mechanically temperamental because of the kind of, so so it's 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 basically a Volkswagen engine, is that Yeah, right? it's a four cylinder. Yeah, and, and so even though it's older, like, do they are they as temperamental as like no I don't think that I think they I think the sort of three fifty six is a, a very can be very reliable yeah that's what that's what um, I read and yeah. I would say I mean if you're going to get one I would go I'd say okay get a split window yeah. do you know what that is uh, I can guess yeah please tell the me the front the front the front windscreen is a, is split but I, yeah. I just think aesthetically for me it's kind of a beautiful like old fashioned detail yeah. that's really lovely yeah uh, and I really I think they're beautiful uh, I saw an amazing one in my favorite Porsche color, one of my favorites, uh, Oratium Green. Okay. It's this kind of slightly hospital green. Wow. That's beautiful. And hospital it, green. Yeah, it's really amazing. You should make a watch dial out of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've was. Well, i been trying to think of a car to make that color. Yeah. Um, anyway, so look, you shouldn't kick yourself in the nuts about it, man. It's a it's a solid start. Yeah. And you know, and, and, and what's gonna happen in five years time, you'll be spending massive quantities of money <laughs> on something very Burning beautiful and money. obscure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 I hope so. I think it's, um, I think it's, and it, and it, and it was the same with watches. Like that's basically how I start. You start off safe with something that you, right. you're not risking too much, and you know is cool and that you're gonna like, and you, you wear it for a couple of years, and then you get a little bit bored, and you're like, okay, I'd rather have this, and then you, you, and then you eventually kind of branch out, and then suddenly you're buying like. 90s Cartier with like asymmetric cases that nobody wants but you think are cool well now everyone wants well no I don't know like it's um, it's still the kind of like it's still something of an underdog that, that one is sort of I mean really? they're doing they're doing you know they're, they're definitely picking up speed right but it's still it's still one of those things where you know I haven't even reached your level, horologically speaking. I'm so, f- I mean, when I hear you talking about all this stuff, I think, God, you know, I'm not even thinking about movements. And, and I mean, I look at case shape, uh, but there's so much. I, I'm just, I'm such a uh, horological halfwit. Oh, yeah, uh, wait a second. Who, who, somebody. somebody that, was my, that was my own. Oh, I had a you. column called that Horological Halfwit on Ho for a while. But did. I am, I'm, I mean, I just, there's so, I am so disappointingly aesthetically driven. You know, like I started, I, when I first started, I think I started with, I started, I amassed a massive collection of Breitling. The 60s and early 70s stuff, because I, th- I felt like they were much more interesting than Hoyer, yeah. um, much more audacious from a design standpoint. And technologically, they would seem to be doing interesting things. Yeah. Um, and I've worked through so many different, you know, Le Mania, uh, 
all sorts of things. And now I've sort of washed up on the shores of the 70s Patek and yeah. 40s Rolex. Yeah. Um, but I but, don't think you've, I think you've, you've done it the right way. I think you've like, I, I think you've followed, I mean, look, I don't be, mean to be condescending, but you followed your own path. <laughs> That's and so you, condescending. Well, exactly. And you've kind of like, you figured it out. Fine. I don't mean to seem kind of like all hippie and wishy-washy about it, but like you found what you like, you followed a path that made sense to you. Um, at some point you'll join the big boys and kind of independent watchmaking. At some point you'll we'll grow up, Phil. Welcome you. You'll, you'll come <laughs> along. There'll be a cigar waiting for you. You'll sit down. I'll introduce you to everyone. Right. No, but like it's, it, it's, 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 no, it's much it's more It's like joining the mafia. I feel <laughs> like, like uh, one day you'll uh, come uh, to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you'll be a, you'll be a, a, a made, made guy. You'll made, be a made man. That's right. No, but like, it, you know, it's much more important. You do, do it your way and, and, and like what you like. And to be honest, it's much more interesting as well. Um, I think that uh, you know how many how many people basically just like the same thing that everybody else likes, um, and and I'm guilty of that sometimes. And I and I think well, we all that I find that very interesting. Like I've bought watches that um, I've bought watches that I because I've seen them so much. I think that I like them, and then yeah. I buy them, and then I think I had a, a what is it the six sixteen sponsor. What's that gold Rolex Submariner from the 70s? You're talking to the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway. Well, uh, anyway, it was really beautiful. It's a really beautiful watch. I kept seeing it. I was like, you know what? This is an amazing watch. I bought one. And then I was wearing it. I thought, this is... I, and it occurred to me, I'd bought it because I'd, I'd just seen it so many times that I'd, it was a mirage. Yeah. My my love for it was a, was was an illusion. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I'm also kind of occasionally self-manipulated into those situations. I saw when Zenith... And I made you buy that uh, Icopod. Yeah, done. <laughs> uh, I saw um, there was something called a Zenith Defy yeah. automatic chronograph that came out a couple of years ago in like, I think it was black carbon fiber or sure. something like that. Something like that. Anyway, yeah. and I saw it on someone's wrist and I was like, that looks absolutely epic. Yeah. And on the spur of the moment, I bought it off them. And, and I just like, I and, and you know, it, it made sense. They were a, basically like collector dealer. dealer. Yeah. And I, um, I thought I loved it. I thought this, and I th thought this is me. This is the new me. I'm gonna be like, I'll wear a leather jacket. You get a Hummer. I'll wear a stretch you know, like, Hummer. Le jacket. I'll have like a Triumph. You know, whatever. <laughs> and um, did that all happen? The leather jacket and the Triumph. Uh, well, one, two, five. Uh, uh, Bonneville. Uh, no, no, no. I had a. Unfortunately, I never evolved past Vespers. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, I had a bunch of one, two, five Vespers. But no, I, um, I did. So and then I just realized after like a month or so, it just like it, it just felt hollow. It just right. felt like I was, I put it on it. It meant nothing to me, and I, there was no connection. Right. And it's a wonderful watch, yeah. but it just didn't speak to me. And so I I sold it. And I, I I am a strong believer that if you if you buy something, on on what the French call a coup de coeur, like on on like just on an impulse, yeah, and you realize that it was a mistake it's for whatever reason it can just be that it's too big like in many cases it's because it's too big for my wrist sure best to sell it quickly like you know just, i agree just move on i know i totally losses. agree because i know uh, i think we've got to wrap up actually we've been going for a long time but i think that um i know um i i, I know when i like when i try and convince myself mm. that i like something yeah you know and i just and i go hang on you can't convince yourself into it all right, it's we should wrap. We've been talking for a long time. Jesus Christ. I should have had that coffee. <laughs> <laughs>
Silas, thank you so much, man. It's been such a, it's been really interesting, surprisingly in, intellectually interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, I, there's always what uh, I try to I surprise people that intellectually I'm able to maintain a conversation. I was shocked. I know. Utterly I know. shocked. I, like stringing a sentence together is, is it's amazing. Is half the no, honestly, man, I really appreciate you coming it's on. Been it's pleasure. been really, really interesting. Thank you for having me. And uh, no, I really enjoyed it, too. And I will and definitely don't call me again when you're in London. I was gonna say, <laughs> I'm going to bug you all the time for car questions. Man, I'm honestly, I'm I'm happy to. Ad nauseum talk about cars. Perfect, perfect. All right, well, thanks again, man. Cheers. Fantastic. All right. (sighs) That was really interesting, yeah? Yeah.